Walk into any pharmacy or corner store today, and if you're lucky, you'll still find a greeting card to give to your mom for Mother's Day tomorrow. The day before, usually pretty slim pickings. Good morning, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning's show is our greeting card to all moms, including mine, who actually listens to Cityscape every Saturday morning. Good morning, Mom. Oh, and I already bought your card. Really, I did. So I'll see you tomorrow. Note to self, buy Mother's Day card. Just kidding, Mom. I really bought the card. It's a special Mother's Day edition of Cityscape. Glad you're with us. Moms don't have it easy. Here in New York City, the daily grind often involves wrestling baby strollers down subway stairs and grappling with grocery bags and heavy sidewalk traffic. Joining me in the studio this morning are three urban moms who share their lives with the world through the blogosphere. They each write for New York City Moms Blog and their own websites. Kelsey Kittner is the mother of a three-and-a-half-year-old and a 16-month-old. She lives in Manhattan's West Village and has her own blog called The Mama Bird Diaries. Kelsey, welcome to Cityscape. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Robin Lentz is a mom from Clinton Hill, Brooklyn. She has a nine, a seven, and a four-year-old. Her personal blog can be found at one of those horriblemoms.blogspot.com. Good morning, Robin. Thank you. Good morning. And with us today is Andy Silverman. Andy is the mother of a two and a three-year-old. She lives on Manhattan's Upper West Side. She's also the author of a book called Mama Knows Breast, A Beginner's Guide to Breastfeeding. You can find Andy's blog at mamaknowsbreast.com. Hey, Andy. Hey there. Kelsey, let's start with you. Is it hard to get around to New York City with kids in tow? It's definitely difficult. I mean, it's difficult in the West Village just trying to navigate the tiny cobblestone streets and get around and try to get in stores. I learned very quickly that one of the strollers, the double-decker strollers that you see a lot in Manhattan was absolutely the way to go if I wanted to get in and out of anywhere. Andy, you have two kids very close in age, a two- and a three-year-old. What's life like for you? Well, we had the same double-stroller issue. And I spent months when I was pregnant with the second one researching and researching, trying to figure out what was going to be the best stroller and who had it and who carried it. I ended up ordering this stroller from a website in the U.K., because it wasn't available in the U.S. yet. And once I got it, I started to get stopped on the street all the time. Everybody wanted to know what was this crazy stroller. And it works, but not always. And Robin, your kids are a little bit older now. They are older. From what I can tell, they've significantly improved strollers since my kids were young enough to be in them. We just had the double McLaren. That was kind of the Mercedes of strollers back then. And it's a double wide. It takes up a lot of room. And the wheels get shaved down in these kinds of strange ways. They constantly need to be replaced. But I have to confess, I drive a minivan. Life is different in Brooklyn than it is in <laughs> Manhattan, huh? It is. I, have a, I live on a quiet street where parking's actually pretty easy. We can walk most places, but when we need to take everybody somewhere, we just climb in the car. So for you two, though, I'm sure you're struggling quite a bit then to get around without the vehicle, without the minivan. I am always a little bit wary of putting kids, the kids in a cab. I just won't do it. So I will walk 20, 30 blocks rather than get in a cab with them. And I'm not physically strong enough to do the bus or the subway with them because you've got one kid who's 40 pounds, one kid who's 30 pounds, a stroller, some bags. And that's, for me, just that would be a recipe for disaster. So 
I will walk. Is it just too much of a struggle to put them in a cab? Well, I mean, there is the struggle part, but I'm worried about them being in a cab without a car seat. So mm-hmm. that's really why I won't do it. I know a lot of people do, but for me, it's just one of my neurotic things, and I just won't go there. That's actually pretty interesting because I'm not a parent, and I never gave much thought to the fact that taxi cabs don't have car seats for children. It's a big issue. You don't have one. I mean, you do when they're a little infant because your car seat is part of your stroller. But once they're not a newborn anymore, if you want to take a taxi cab, you're putting them in. So I... I guess I'm less neurotic, <laughs> and I feel comfortable putting my kids at risk. No, I um, do take short cab rides. I never go on the highway. I, too, have nervousness about it, and I put my kids in the cab, and I buckle them in, but it's not a car seat, but it's just sort of one of those accommodations you make in the city because sometimes I need to go somewhere with them, and I can't walk. It's too far. Well, sometimes I feel bad for my children that they're growing up in basically New York City where they should know a lot about taxi cabs, and they don't have a lot of riding in a taxi experiences. There are whole songs about growing up riding in taxis. They just don't really understand the words in the songs because it's not a part of their experience. I will say taxi is one of the first words that kids learn how to say. And I don't know, Andy, how young your kids were, but my kids were so young when they started putting up their hands to hail a cab. Talking about the minivan, I would think that it makes it a little bit easier for a mother. Perhaps you can leave the house in your pajamas, drop the kids off at school, and make it home without anyone ever noticing that you're still in your jammies. But if you live in Manhattan, I would think that it's not so easy to leave the house in your pajamas. Do you ever feel pressure to get a little bit more dressed up to take the kids out? There is a certain amount of pressure if you let it get to you to kind of look good. And on the days when I don't look good, I will put a hat on and put a coat on and that will hide the dirty sweatshirt that has applesauce on it. You you know, you do what you can. But if you want to be part of the fashion show, you can. And if you don't, then you don't have to. Kelsey? I would say that sunglasses and lip gloss are my two components of running out the door. And it is, you know, being in the West Village, I'll walk down the street and I'll see Julianne Moore and I'll be like, darn, she's looking gorgeous again. I should have showered. You know, it certainly is all around. uh, But I love it. I love it because I think that having kids can be isolating. It can be... Um, a very different way of life. So if you're living in New York City and you're around the fashion and you're around great restaurants and you can get a babysitter and pop out and you're still a part of all of that while having these great kids and great playgrounds, that's like the best of both worlds for me. A lot of great restaurants in New York City. Dining out is a big thing for New Yorkers. How difficult is it when you have children or is it not difficult at all? Well, it depends on their ages and it depends on the restaurant. Sadly, the other day, I asked my son if he could eat anywhere in all of New York, where would it be? And we've exposed him to a lot of places, and he said Subway. He just wants to go to Subway (laughs) and get a sandwich. You know, for us, the main struggle is can we get in and out without causing havoc for us and for other people? Because food falls on the floor, things get spilled. Can you even get in the door? With some To go back to the strollers, you sometimes cannot even get in the door if you have a certain size stroller. Or maybe there's nowhere to park it once you're in there. So it really, for us, is a question of logistics. And there's a handful of places where we know where we can go and that if things go badly... We can get out with causing without causing a lot of damage. Kelsey, what about for you? I would say that you become a very big tipper when you have kids and you take them out to eat. And 
I completely agree with Robin. Depends on their ages. You'll go through a phase where it's easy and you're in the groove. You're like, oh, my gosh, I could do this all the time. I'm the lady that lunches with my kids. And then a week later, you're like, I'm never doing that again. You're mortified. We all know it's not always easy to find a bathroom in New York City when you need one. What do you do when you're a mom with kids? I got a great tip when I was potty training my daughter, Dylan, which was about these little portable potties. And I was like, really? Kids will go in that? Well, my kid loves it. So we'll be going down the street. I'm walking down Hudson. She's in the stroller. My two girls are in the stroller. And she's like, I have to pee. So we're like, okay. And within about 10 seconds, she she now sets up her own portable potty. And she pees. And we tie up the bag. And we throw it away. How about you, Andy? Well, fortunately, our younger one is still in diapers. So Mm -hmm. I'm not dealing with that for as long as possible. The older one is a camel. And he will hold it and hold it and hold it. But there have been times where we pulled down his pants. I'm sorry to say this, but and he's just gone where he was because mm-hmm. we had to do it. Andy, let me address the breastfeeding question to you because you have a book about breastfeeding. Is it a friendly place, New York City, to breastfeed? Absolutely. I think New York is probably one of the most liberal places in the country in terms of breastfeeding. You really can go anywhere that you're comfortable And as long as you can find a comfortable place to sit and you feel at ease and your baby is at ease, I think that people are very open and accepting of that. Kelsey? I think it's often so easy to breastfeed once you're in the swing of things without people even knowing. Like, it's unbelievable. You can sit on a bench or even on the subway. I mean, I've breastfed on the subway only on a necessity. It's not like you're thinking that day, well, I know a great place to breastfeed. I'm going to go down on the number one train. Your kid is hungry. It's a newborn baby. They eat all the time. I grew up in Connecticut, and it was really nice. But we love the city. We love living here. I love exposing my kids to the diversity here. I go to the playground. There's like 15 different languages being spoken. That wasn't happening in Connecticut, as nice as it is. Kelsey Kittner, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. It's great to be here. Andy Silverman, thank you to you. Thank you. And Robin Lentz, thank you. Thanks so much. Kelsey, Andy, and Robin all blog on New York City Moms Blog. They also have their own websites. Some moms blog and others rock and roll. Joy Rose sings lead with a band called Housewives on Prozac and is the founder of a festival called Mama Palooza. She dropped by our studios to talk about her double life. The name of your group is Housewives on Prozac? That's correct. How did you come up with that name? Music is my Prozac, baby. Keeps me going. (laughs) Um, You look around, and a lot of people are doing a lot of different things to try to get happy. And uh, so that was kind of a comment on modern society, if you will. You founded this group after being diagnosed with lupus? I did indeed, yeah. I had one of those uh, crash-and-burn, life-changing episodes, and I hopefully turned my life around in a way that benefits not only myself but others because we're out there really celebrating and living loud. And it really, just rediscovering music and my passion has made all the difference. How many members in the band? I've got five girls, including myself, in the band. How varied are your backgrounds? Very varied. Um, And I called CD Baby and said, look, you need to start a new genre at CD Baby, and it's got to be called Mom Music or Mom Rock or Mama Palooza because we've got punk artists, country artists, rock artists, singer-songwriters, and they so musically they fall into a lot of different genres. The thing they have in common are uh, there a lot of these are. Uh, middling bands, moderately touring, having sustainable careers while they raise their families, and um, all different music styles. But 
talking about what it is to be a woman maybe over 30, over 35 in a domestic situation. A lot of music addresses that. It's a whole new art form. You have four kids, right? I do. What ages? Uh, my first is off in college this year, and I have a 16-year-old boy, a 14-year-old boy, and a 13-year-old daughter. And what do they think of mom being a rock star? Well, they don't like the Housewives on Prozac truck. I'll say that because it does have the name scrawled across it. But uh, when they were little, they when I started, they were in diapers, and they loved it. Now they all go through a period of about a year or two years where they don't even want to talk to me. <laughs> and then they get over it and it's all good. My 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 college kid is really proud of me and my daughter's fine with it. It's my two middle boys are kind of like, eh, please. How do you juggle a family and a rock band? It's um, a busy life. Uh, just keep it, – it's a juggle, exactly. It's not a balance. Anybody who says it's a balance is wrong. It's a juggle. And um, you get up super early, and I go to bed super late, and um, I do music and then do shuttle the kids where they need to go and feed them. And everybody gets along somehow. Talk to me about the music and how your life as a mom trickles into it. Um, well, the very – first songs that I wrote with the band uh, were back in 1997. Songs like uh, Fuzzy Slippers. Um, I wipe my baby's chin on my college diploma and wonder how did I ever get here. Um, and I only want to pee alone. Um, and you can imagine what that is. Um, so I found that the writing was coming out of my experiences of being a woman and a mother. And um, sometimes there are emotions. You don't know where where to put them. And putting them into art or into music was really a healthy way for me to vent, I guess, in the beginning. And then slowly they started turning into love songs and and loving my life songs. And now I sing songs like It's Only Life and I Don't Think Like My Mom Anymore. I deal with a cross-section of, I think, amazingly well-adjusted women who are artists and mothers. Um, we got, we've gotten a lot of calls about reality shows. And I've had a very hard time finding anybody who's really interested in acting super weird on screen and jeopardizing their whole family's existence for a shot at TV. We're kind of happy with our lives. And the Mama Palooza Festival and having now um, more opportunities like that has made doing our art a lot easier. As the, uh, as the opportunities increase, our level of satisfaction increases as artists, and then we go home and we're better parents, I think. You founded the Mama Palooza Festival about six years ago, right? Yep. And um, I just want to say it's spelled M A M A P A L O O Z A. Um, and founded it six years ago on a single stage in Manhattan. And it went from one stage where we had a 72 year old ex Rockette by the name of Corliss Whitney doing high kicks. I mean, 72 year old grandmother. I called up a couple of other uh, mom artists I knew, Tina DeVaron. And my band, of course, Housewives on Prozac. And that was the first stage. And at that stage, Allison Palmer of the band Betty uh, found out about it. And she was like, I want to create a stage. And I said, great. She went to New York Parks Department. And they've been hosting a stage for us now for five years out on the pier um, at West uh, 70th Street. And uh, we also have one now in Kensico Dam Plaza, right, locally. People can check that out. That's on May 17th. Parks is on the 18th. And Mama Palooza is now comprised of thousands of artists all across the country. May is Mama Palooza Month, and we've got events happening at universities, um, outdoor parks departments, nightclubs, you name it. Who shows up at Mama Palooza events? Who, 
Who's your audience? Our audience uh, are families. Um, we get a lot of people pushing strollers and, and even teenage kids and families out to spread a blanket and listen to the outdoor concert. We also have nighttime events because it is a palooza. So we have comedy shows and a Hot Mama Burlesque show this year um, and rock shows. We have the all-star rock night in New York City at uh, Arlene's Grocery on Friday the 17th. So there's a lot of um, varied audiences like women will go, you know, mom's night out and uh, leave the kids at home and go see some of the rock and burlesque shows. And then there are a lot of family festivals as well. A hot mama burlesque show. You're breaking all sorts of boundaries. All sorts of boundaries. (laughs) And it's all good. I mean, people respond really well. Like I said, it's a pretty healthy movement um, with a lot of good vibes attached to it. So You have a brand new song. Yes. It is called Mama is a Rock Star. Absolutely. (laughs) This song is, uh, we're still in the studio. It's, this is still a rough mix. I'm very brave to play this for you, but I think it's sounding pretty good. I'm proud of it. And since the whole band couldn't be here today, I thought I'd bring you what we're working on. All right, Joy, let's hear it. Okay. That is brand new from Housewives on Prozac. We have the lead singer for that band with us this morning on Cityscape, Joy Rose. You know, Joy, my mom is pretty hip, but she is not doing that. (laughs) Well, um, your mom could appreciate it, I'm sure, anyway. I'm sure she can. Of course, your real name is Joy Rose, Uh but you also go by Sugar Woman. Sugar Woman. Sugar in your coffee, Rose. That's right. And I play with Boom Chick Kelly and Whoop Ann Burt, and uh, my girls are really rocking. I'm, I'm, I'm privileged to play with them. Who was rocking on the guitar during that song? Jane Getter of the Jane Getter Band lives over in Riverdale. On your website, you call yourself a baby pig? Uh, yeah. What uh-huh. the heck is that about? Well, um, I'm a socially conscious person, and four kids is a lot of kids on the planet these days. And I'm the first to admit that the first came out, it was so cute. I just wanted another one and another one and another one. I think it happened. So I was a baby pig. I wasn't, you know, I'm really proud of my kids and so happy I've got all four of them. But I wasn't, I was an oinker to have that. (laughs) (laughs) But you've also said that motherhood is a role, not a complete identity. That's true. And um, really, I am about empowering the woman who is a mother. And if the woman is empowered, then the mother is empowered. And if the mother is empowered, then the children are learning. And they're learning, by example, how to live lives that are um, full and vibrant and creative. And we, life is short. 
So I want to leave that with my kids. Joy Rose, happy Mother's Day. Thank you to you, too. If you want to find out more about Housewives on Prozac, including their upcoming gigs, or to learn more about the Mama Palooza Festival, check out M-A-M-A-P-A-L-O-O-Z-A dot com. You're tuned to a special Mother's Day edition of Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. From June Cleaver to Carol Brady to Peg Bundy. Through the years, television has featured mothers of every type imaginable. Joining me now to talk about the evolution of motherhood on the little screen is Dr. Lance Strait, a professor of media studies at Fordham University. Thanks so much for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. Now, mothers have been featured in many a TV show through the years, going back to Leave it to Beaver in the 1950s, huh? You go back to the early days of television and you really... Um, have the ideal mother being presented, you know, so the perfect mother figure who does everything, does everything right, and is pretty much in charge of the family. The father's sort of a distant authority figure, maybe with some uh, authority left, but, but largely almost a comical figure. And that spoke to the times, too, right? Following World War II, all the men came home, and there was this need for the women to get out of the workplace. And men, having had the trauma of warfare, wanted to nothing more than to settle down and have a comfortable family life. And, and for that, they needed the perfect mother-wife figure. But, of course, for women, there was a great deal of frustration attached to this. And that, of course, went along with the women's rights movement. Also a, a major factor was the rising divorce rate. And with it hand-in-hand, the sexual revolution. Because what you see happening in the the late 50s, really, in the early 60s, um, and continuing through the 60s into the 70s, is the single-parent family. You had, for example, Doris Day or or Julia. You had the single-parent mom. And that was not, um, you know, that was becoming more and more the case in reality uh, due to divorce. But on television, it wasn't due to divorce. It was always that they were widowed or widowers, which I think reflects the stigma that still existed. Even though the divorce rate was going up, being a divorcee was not socially acceptable yet, was still had an air of kind of moral failing. Um, So... In a distorted kind of way, they reflected the demographic reality, but also the values that people had. So the mom was still a perfect mom in the sense that she wasn't a fail. It wasn't due to a failed marriage that she was a single mom. It was due to an act of God. We even saw that with the Brady Bunch. Absolutely. What a wonderful example of that. And and that, in fact, reflects the the growing trend of second marriages, right? And and these new families coming together. Um, I mean, that was the great extreme, but it is so emblematic of where we were moving into. In the 1970s, we saw the television show Alice, and even Alice was a widow. She was not divorced. Well, the big one was One Day at a Time. That was the first one where you had a divorced mom. 
with two kids. Yeah. What really startles me about this is going back to when I was in elementary school in 1968, and that was Ronald Reagan was running for president or for the Republican nomination for the first time. And I remember distinctly, this was the New York City Public Schools, it was in Queens, my teacher said to us that Ronald Reagan could never be elected president of the United States. She said a divorced man could never be accepted. You know, divorce was simply socially unacceptable. But by 1975, we have the sitcom, and in 1976, it's no longer an issue. Uh, And he comes very close to taking the Republican nomination away from Ford, and the fact that he's a divorcee is never brought up. I mean, he's never, as they say today, swift-boated about it. And incredibly, in 1980, he wins the presidency as the candidate of family values. Shows you how much things have changed. Things changed again in the 1980s with The Cosby Show, and now we see a married woman, the mother of a few kids, but a very successful working woman. We have now the new perfect mom, in a sense. This time she's not only the perfect mom uh, as uh, the head of the household, in a sense, taking care of things, but also has a very successful career, the career mom. And again, I'm sure this is a time in society that we're seeing that shifting, that more women are entering the workforce and being very successful at it. What we don't see is the cost of all that, the fact that this has a negative effect on the household in many instances. I mean, it's just impossible to do everything. And these are sitcoms, so we have to be realistic about it. We can't expect things to get too heavy. Sure. So they always distort. You know, they always present a kind of ideal image. You're not going to get the terrible image of the family that's falling apart. Of course, you have married with children as the wonderful kind of um, opposite side of the coin uh, with Peggy Bundy, who is kind of the perfect, horrible (laughs) wife um, that's out there. We also had a very interesting show, an interesting relationship between two women, Kate and Allie, who lived together and were raising their kids together. On the surface, you know, it seems to be just, you know, another kind of situation, okay? You know, instead of one divorced mom, we have two. But if you look at it a little differently, I mean, it's reflecting kind of alternate lifestyles that might exist out there. And and in particular, it could be interpreted or it could be understood as as reflecting a, a relationship between two lesbians, you know, two lesbian mothers who are making a new kind of family unit. Um, obviously, there's still a stigma attached to it back then, to some extent still today. So to um, present it without the stigma, you remove the sexual sexuality of it. That kind of thing allows television or allows the industry to deal with some of these demographic changes without getting too controversial. What are we primarily seeing today when it comes to motherhood on television? We're not seeing a lot of it, which is sort of interesting. It's the vanishing mother. The biggest thing that's missing is the stay-at-home mom. Um, you know, it, with the exception of, say, uh, Marge Simpson as as an example, or maybe some of the moms on South Park, you know, but that becomes parody ref, um, in some ways referring back to earlier sitcoms. But um, certainly the stay-at-home the ha- mom, the housewife 
is no longer really reflected. And even though there still are, you know, that still is a situation. And I think um, that does show, uh, you know, a kind of social value that, you know, now women are expected to earn a living. Um, and and, that, and it's, so it's kind of a stigma to be um, Donna Reed or to be that, that kind of 50s mother. But um, overall, I think we're, we're largely seeing the disappearance of motherhood altogether. And maybe that goes along with, with sitcoms themselves being in decline. That's, of course, what we're talking about today in terms of new programming. But we still want to hold on to that good feeling. You know, there are Absolutely. reruns of Leave it to Beaver. Yes. And to be honest with you, when, uh, in preparation for this interview, I took my TiVo and I checked on sitcoms. And I went through them, and, and, and it seemed like 90% of what I was seeing were the sitcoms of the 50s and 60s. Now, this is with all the options that cable gives you, but that's what's being selected. You know, it's the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s, you know, that kind of, again, you know, going back to the ideal mom, that's where you, you find it, not in the sitcoms of today, which, which is, is sad in a way. I mean, we're, we're missing something. We're losing something, uh, you know, in, in all that mix. Dr. Strait, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Dr. Lance Strait is a professor of media studies at Fordham University. One TV mom Dr. Strait didn't mention was Roseanne. Maybe you can relate to this Mother's Day episode of the series. French toast is coming up. What, did you actually make breakfast? Well, sure. It's Mother's Day. What's the catch? <laughs> Not catch. Can't we just do something nice? I don't know. You never have. <laughs> Here, happy Mother's Day. Oh, look at it. It's an ashtray with your picture at the bottom. Oh, it's a shame you quit smoking. You could grind your butts out on his face. <laughs> Shut up. Well, I like it, DJ, and I'm going to use it for a candy dish. You really, really love it? I love it, yes. And you're still not watching any TV. Gee! <laughs> Here, Mom, this is from me and Darlene. Oh, thanks. Oh, look at that. It's a gift certificate to the beauty oh, box. Oh, man, Mother's Day makeover. Manicure, pedicure, facial, complete hairstyling. Man, this must have cost a lot. Which one of you is pregnant? Mama, mama, you know I love you. You know I love you. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producer Rashida Winfield. And happy Mother's Day to all of you moms. Have a great day. Queen of my heart.